and welcome to Scran, the podcast passionate about Scottish food and drink. I'm your host, Rosalind Erskine, and on this episode, I'm chatting to Fraser Graham from Cabazon Beverage. Cabazon, together with Lost Lock Distillery in Aboyne, launched a botanical rum last year, making them one of the newer kids on the burgeoning Scottish rum blog. I spoke to Fraser about the rum scene in Scotland, changing tastes and appetites for local produce, rum cocktails, and how taking Buckfast to a desert island may be a great idea. Hi Fraser. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for thanks for having me. That's okay. So uh, it's quite an interesting name you've got there, um, the name of the business. <laughs> not the Fraser's not interested. <laughs> um but yeah, what what does what does it mean and um, how did it all come to be? Yeah, so um, I suppose the name Cabazon comes from its Spanish meaning. You know, it's got a bit of a dual meaning, pig-headed. It comes from my colleague and the business's founder, David's time, living in Barcelona. So he's always been a bit of a well-travelled rum drinker. He was residing in Spain. It was a nickname that was given to him, I suppose, twofold. One on his stubbornness, pig-headedness that Cabazon translates to, and the one that I prefer the dual meaning on of uh, him having a big head. Literal. But we choose, as a, <laughs> from a business perspective, we choose on the, the uncompromising pig-headedness that we utilise across a lot of our brand. Yeah, so the idea came about probably late 2019, looking at ways of investing, something that we want to do that's something a little bit enjoyable. I'm speaking on behalf of David here just now. So he'd started the brand working with a distillery up in Aberdeenshire, creating the drink that we want to create. And then he launched, when was this last? October. So we're now 10 months in. I kind of joined, started giving my background personally is in marketing and business developments and activities like that. So I've known David now for the best part of 18 years, 20 years. And uh, so my involvement pretty much came on the cheap. I'd messaged him asking for a free bottle of rum if he'd like a bit of marketing advice in exchange. And then uh, 10 months on, here we are on a podcast. <laughs> As these things always tend to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, and he knows, and I would be lying to say that I possibly didn't have an ulterior motive for reaching out in the first place. But it's something that looked great and it tastes great, and yeah, so it's it's gone it's gone well. So was it his idea to work with a Scottish distillery to to make a rum? Is that kind of you know he'd always wanted to do that? Is that sort of an, an ambition that he had for the business? Yeah, I think we wanted. He always said he wanted something like that, and I think both of us coming from. Aberdeenshire it, it made sense for us to do this up kind of this way David currently resides down in Edinburgh but I think the beauty of the business especially the last year or so of, of being a business in itself is that the world's been forced to work remotely so rather than a hindrance of being separated on the day-to-day it's actually just been part of the company's existence is doing this element of it so I think taking something like rum that has always had a, a niche following in this country it's never been one of the more say headline drinks that people have but there's always everywhere you go there's pockets of rum drinkers every night out every bar every city's got small sections of rum drinkers and by the looks of things how things are going yeah it looks like this could be maybe not growing to the size of the gin industry but definitely something rum rightfully taking its place on the on the top shelf that's what I was going to say to you do you reckon that it will you know gin obviously has gone from strength to strength and continues to grow you know despite the fact it seems a pretty full market do you see rum becoming that way or do you think it will stay quite niche but become more as people become more interested in Scottish spirits do you think they're becoming more interested in rum being made in Scotland yeah well I think it's that double-edged thing with Scotland's uh, love affair with alcoholic drinks 
we we want to, for good or for bad. We we have an interest. We're very very good at making them, and we're very good at drinking them. So I think, as to, I think gin, what gin has done to me, in my eyes anyway, is, is the wonders of it all. Is is it's made things like this more accessible. Like it's because in the past, you've I think distilling and, and having a and uh, I suppose like a spirits business has always been a, a bit of an endeavour of the already established or people who have capital. And I think this is what gin has done is showcase that you can have a recipe and you can have the enjoyment of business and the brand and connect with people and, and go to the right events. And actually, it's not it's no longer just, a, as I said, an endeavour for the, for the well-off, for the established. Anyone can do it. We're, I suppose our side is, is testament to that. Is, and, and when we exhibited the Scottish Rum Festival a few weeks ago, it was exactly the same. It was one of, I actually said in one of the panels, one of the things that I'd really enjoy would be sitting on the Scottish Rum Festival panel next year with someone who was there thinking, do you know what, I'm going to do it. And, and nowadays, as they can, loads of we work a great distillery up in Aboyne just now. Loads of distilleries are utilising contract distilling as a means of extra additional revenue. And, and it's some, yeah, I think if you enjoy those things, it can grow absolutely. I don't think it will realistically get to the size of gin. I don't, I don't know, but I would still like. It. I hope it grows absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and you mentioned the Scottish Rum Festival there. How how was that this year? Because obviously it's the second second year. It was virtual mm-hmm. again. And and did you quite enjoy it? Did you did you think there was there more people there this time than there was last year? Did you think? Yeah, well, I thought the the level of engagement was great, and things like I mean the the benefits for us for even just things like speaking to new distributors or bars or even just people in general. I thought yeah, I thought it was a great thing. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think next year would be better if we can do it in person. And we've had a couple of conversations with some of the rum producers about having a Scottish rum producing tasting day for the producers, which I think will descend just into a day in the piss. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's good. Do you know what I mean? The one thing that I've really enjoyed so far is, is everyone's been incredibly helpful. The industry's been helpful. Like you always, I think, I think you're, you're maybe a little bit apprehensive at the start about reaching out to people because you could I think the initial concern is people will think they're coming after my business and in my eyes we're not I mean we're 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 looking all collectively looking to create a bit of an industry so so we work very hard I say work very hard as my thumb works very hard uh liking or engaging with as many other distributors content as we can online even if it is just the case to showcase to spread awareness of their brands as well as ours and vice versa some of the brands like like the guys at Titan or Matuga or Jacobite Spirits are always very, very good at liking and commenting on our content. It's a way to try and build, in my eyes, a bit of a, a community. The ones that we should be probably competing against in the growth of things like that are the large global multinationals. Do you know I mean, they're the ones who, and realistically, they're the ones that we should be taking or attempting to educate people in Scotland and the UK and beyond on alternatives to drink. And do you find that um, sort of your average customer, do they know quite a lot about rum? Are they coming into it quite well informed or are they sort of quite just more interested? Uh, I think that the rise of a Scottish rum industry piques interest more. Most people, depending on, on, I suppose it depends on age demographics. So you get the older people like my stepdad, who, who when you say rum, his only association is OVD or some form of old dark navy rum then you get younger people on like say like like friends sides who drink a lot more cocktails and they've had a lot more white rums in these aspects then you get people probably my age mid-30s uh who grew up on things like i don't know havana seven was what we viewed as a nice 
premium rum at the time. And, and to be honest, it's still a great drink, in all fairness. So I think it depends on who you're talking to. I think a lot of people are genuinely just interested. And I think these days, especially coming off the back of the last year or so, uh, is people are just willing to try local stuff. Like they want to, they, they know it's been made by people who know what they're doing. They know that. They, they, the one thing that they're not buying, because like, the way I view, my viewpoint on when people buy bottles is, and I do it myself, if I'm buying something in a shop, I'll tend to buy something I know. But that's what like, the importance of things like the education on the on-trade side, now that that's back, is uh, it gives people a, a low-risk opportunity to try Scottish products for a couple of pounds for a nip, as opposed to spending 30 quid, 35 quid on a bottle in a shop and realising that maybe that taste isn't for them. How can you, how would you describe the rum? Like how, how is it made? What's the process that, um, that it goes through? Yeah, so, so we basically take two uh, five-year-aged Caribbean rums, one from Guyana, one from the Dominican Republic. We take them back to the distillery in Aberdeenshire. We blend them to get to the blend that we like. We take these two batches. We split the batches in two. One, we will macerate with loads of sultanas to give it sweetness, a bit of colour. The other batch that we will use, we will infuse our botanicals, cubib, which is effectively, it's like a little peppercorn. We used to use it for, for flavouring cigars and things in the past. Cola nut, which was John Pemberton's original part of his recipe for Coca-Cola, helps give that drink its name. Uh, a little bit of vanilla and uh, honey from a farm across the road from the distillery. And then we will redistill that to create a white rum. That comes out pretty strong. Uh, we blend that back in with the macerated rum as well they have. And then we distill that back down with Deeside Spring Water to bottling strength at 41%. And then we let that sit a few weeks just to rest. And then we're uh, yeah good to go. So there's still a fair bit, even though I suppose what you t- technically call it would be blenders effectively we're still a lot of science goes into this do you know what I mean we're still distilling again and we're still going through this sort of process the distillation process again just to make a product that we yeah enjoy and I think that's fundamentally for us is we wanted to make something that we liked something that we could like we could drink neat in the house watching a good film something we could drink like an absolute staple for me and even though some might think it's blasphemous and others might not I love a rum and coke do you know what I mean? That's a rum and coke is an absolute timeless classic drink for me. Well, that that is a a go to safe drink I'll have anywhere. So we wanted something that would work, mellow enough and mature enough on its own. Something that would mix well with cola or apple juice, ginger beer, ginger ale. But the to me the benefit of the botanical style rum that we have, as opposed to some of the spiced drums, is that the flavour profile of the botanical rum is still strong enough that you can taste the rum and the flavours when it's on its own, whether it's mixed or when it's in a cocktail, but also delicate enough that it doesn't overpower the taste if you're making a com- cocktail that's maybe slightly more complex. Yeah, and I think to me that's one of the benefits of the more the kind of newer botanical style rums is that you still get the essence of these flavours without them being, but you still, I mean, well, you still taste rum. That's the, I mean, that's first and foremost what you taste. And would you say... Um... Are you calling it a Scottish rum, or can you not really do that? You know how there's this question over gin and you know, you know, contract distilling and and the botanicals mm-hmm. being added and what actually constitutes a Scottish gin. And I mean, ultimately, I think if you're enjoying it and you know it tastes nice, it doesn't really matter. But there is sort of that question of what constitutes Scottish spirits. So, would you say it's Scottish rum, or is it more just sort of a, a botanical and a, a dark rum that you're making? Uh, but we like to think there's a lot of nods to Scotland, isn't it? I, th- I think there's no getting away from the fact that we buy our rums from the Caribbean. But I also think when you look at climate or growing ability here, then we couldn't make rum as good as the people in the Caribbean. Do you know, we can't. 
age our, our rum tropically like they can. We could rain, we could age it in cloud. If that would, if that <laughs> I, I don't know. The last couple of weeks have been quite warm, though. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? so, so, so for me, it's, it, again, it depends. Do you know what I mean? That's an argument for there'll, there'll be people who believe absolutely not, and there'll be people who believe that because of the work that we put in, the fact that all the process and stuff's here. Do you know what I mean? We, we infuse our botanicals here, it's bottled here, we're here. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, there'll be arguments for both sides. And in all honesty, from our perspective, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that's it. I think that's. I'll leave that to, to 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 other people to argue. I know. I think if you were talking about it being a Scottish rum, I would. I would argue yes. Do you know what I mean? We are Scottish born and bred. Our ingredients, the water that we use, is from Scotland. The honey's from Scotland. The, do you know what I mean? The manufacturing, the redistillation's in Scotland. It's mellowed in Scotland. Yeah, we're just taking the learnings and the the abilities that people have from effectively better climates and and, and allowing us to put our own twist on these things. Yeah, I, I, I honestly think that, yeah, people will argue either way. But for us, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you mentioned as well the sort of newer style botanical rums. Does that sort mm-hmm. of reflect the change in people's tastes? You know, they've like I've mentioned gin again, but, you know, people buy into the sort of story of botanicals and like, you know, the craft nature of these things. Is, is mm-hmm. that what do you think has sort of spawned this interest and maybe a change in taste of what they expect? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think what again, once in, in the past, it's it's like a lot of these things that you don't you don't actually really know what you're interested in until somebody offers it up to you, until you realise because most of the times your frame of reference is off because you because you're living between the parameters of what you normally know. Whereas I think now that people are coming in with a lot more, and don't get me wrong, ours are subtle, but I've seen some of the ones out there where flavour profiles are before you taste them seem ridiculous. But then when you taste them, it works. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, and that's, to me, it's the kind of mad genius of things like this, is it allows people to be playful and creative as opposed to being confided by the, the kind of normal rules or, or the normal drinks that are available when I go into, I don't know, nine-tenths of the pub across the country when I'm given the same eight or nine drinks on an optic. That allows people to, yeah, to, to let that creative side out of it. And I think, again, touch on the right, especially the rise of gin, is it's, it's allowed... That's the beauty of it, I think, is it's allowed people to be creative and allows people who normally in the past probably wouldn't have, they've maybe had flair, they've had creative or flair or, or flair in the kitchen or design or art, and it's allowing them to express themselves, not just in taste, but in the marketing side. And for me, you mentioned the story of the botanicals. I think that's what's, that's one of the beauties about Scotland and, and distilling and the gin industry and the growing rum industry. Is that what, is that what people, in my eyes anyway, it's what people are connected to. Do you know what I mean? They want something ethical they want something that they understand the backstory they want to support local businesses they want to to be able to have that feel of exclusivity of and I, and I know myself even though it's our own drink like don't get me wrong I loved going to like barbecues over the summer being like oh here's my run because <laughs> it's, it's great like and, it, and it's a great opportunity to, to speak to people and to to can I suppose to try to politely convert people into understanding that there are other options available that they would probably really enjoy. Yeah, and do you, um, you mentioned sort of bars coming back and like, you know, getting getting in there. Is there, can you try uh, the rum in bars across Scotland just now or is that something that you're still kind of working on? Yeah, so we're in bars in as far north as, I can't, my hometown's beside Fraserburgh. Big shout out to 
all the phrases, but a massive listening. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So, so, so I did that. You know, it's like anything. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I was desperate to get a bar in Fraser because it's my hometown. So that to me, even though it's it's small amounts of bottles, it's small. It's still nice to have that. And whereas down as far as uh, bars as far down as St Ives, down in like yeah, fifteen miles or seventeen miles from Lands End, and in places in between. So through England, Norwich. Up to sort of like the Midlands areas, boat in places like that, and then in bars in Edinburgh, Glasgow, Aberdeen, Dundee. Very. Uh, I mean, in all honesty, it's, it's adding all the time, which is great. Which and again, I think that's down to the, especially in Scotland, it, it, it's been a lot easier to call somebody up, especially in lockdown when people have been shut. You literally just I've just been messaging bars pages, being like, "Do you want some free rum in the post?" And most of the time, they're like, "Yeah, I do actually." <laughs> Yeah, and that's given them the time, obviously, to to try it and maybe come up with different cocktails and things. Yeah, do you, yeah, of course. Do you guys have like a sort of favourite or signature serve or cocktail that you would suggest? Uh, one that I tried the other day, as far as, and it's not something that I've done a lot of, but we've been working with a guy on Instagram, Scottish Mixology, who created a rum and amaretto biscoff sour. Oh, wow. Which I've seen that doing a lot of the, if you have a little look on our socials, Cab is on beverage. Uh, yeah, we didn't see the recipe from um, from Jack and that, but it was lovely. And you're surprised with how that kind of like biscuity spread taste work with the amaretto as well as the rum. And I, I think that's the beauty of rum on that side as well. It works so well. It's, rum is a distinctive taste, but it's also gentle enough that it mixes well with loads of different things. So for me, do you know what I mean? I love a daiquiri. I love anything like that. A little bit of sugar, a little bit of lime, a little bit of rum, sold. But anything like that, any sort of sour. Yeah, I think for me, the, the important factor of all these things is we spoke to a few guys and, and unfortunately through the past, I used to work in the hospitality industry for years. And uh, so we've got friends on both ends of the scale who are looking at the guys who are effectively alchemists and mad scientists using fire and anything they can to make these completely like incredible visual experiences. But that, that's not, I mean, it's amazing to look at aesthetically, it's beautiful. But for us, one of the biggest parts is, is most people, the majority of our customers aren't mad scientists. Do you know what I mean? They are amateur cocktail makers in the house watching a film on a Saturday night. So for us, we want the ones that we try and focus on are the ones that are easy for people to make. You've got equipment in your house. You've got a shaker. You've got a strainer. You've got some limes. Do you know what I mean? You've got some rum. You're pretty much set for, for, for a lot of bases of a lot of drinks there. But um, I mean, as far as cocktails go, do you know what I mean? I, it's funny. I love the classics. Do you know what I mean? I love a mojito. I love a daiquiri. These are the things that I enjoy. But you'll learn from the way. Make anything, as I said. That Biscoff Amaretto Sour, if you really want to go wild. Literally a drink that will cost you to buy, excluding the rum, six or seven pounds or something, to buy a little half bottle Amaretto and a jar of biscuit spread. I mean, who doesn't want a jar of biscuit spread anyway? Yes, man. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you have it on toast the next day. Yeah, that's it. That is, it is so, it's like potatoes. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, there's so many things you can do. I'd quite happily just sit and stick a spoon in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so you've talked about you've a little bit about your um, favorite rum cocktails. Is that is rum always been something you've drank, or is it did you get into it more recently? Yeah, well, well I grew up being of a certain vintage in Scotland. I don't know if I should say this. I I was a Buckfast drinker from fourteen until about twenty, and then <laughs> as I've matured out of that, other than the occasional throwback at birthdays or events, yeah. So, so I. I I've loved the craft beer rise. I've loved, but I, I was often I was a, a whiskey drinker, bourbon drinker for years. But rum's always been there. Do you know what I mean, it's one of these things that you've constantly come in and out of. 
all the time. I just think it's, as I said before, like rum just one of those things that is easy to drink. It's nice to drink. And it's got the, rum has all these beautiful connotations of sunshine and happiness and, and, and the life that you normally want to live out with your, your day-to-day in sunny Scotland. Yeah, I think rum's one of those things that's, that's uh, I think it's always been there. And for me, and I've always drank it, so has my colleagues, I've always drank it. And, and, and a large portion of our friends have always been frequent rum drinkers. The thing that I'm kind of hoping for now is that, that a lot of rum drinkers would have the idea that they'd view dark rums they'd know or white rums that they would know and almost miss the the aged or or more complex rums that sit somewhere in the middle of the colour scheme that they didn't really realise it was there. So I think this rise and especially the popularity in rum and you can see it everywhere. Do you know I mean you can see it from events like the Scottish Rum Festival. You see it on your shelves in the supermarket where the rum section in the past I would I would even guess a year or so ago a handful now every week you go and you see loads of amazing small rum brands now being stocked in major supermarkets and I think that surely that these businesses will not be taking that if it's a gamble do you know what I mean they'll be taking it because it sells mm-hmm. yeah and um, so you mentioned where the rum's from how how did you you guys go about sourcing that spe- like specific um, rums did, did you already know what you wanted or was it like a sort of no, so it was a collaborative effort with, uh, we worked with a place called the Loch Lost Distillery up in the Boyne, Loch Lost Spirits. So they guys up there, and again, it's been it's been a pleasure to work with them. They've been they've been really good to us, they've been really helpful. So they, through their suppliers, it helped us source rums that were responsibly sourced, that allowed us to try a lot. I mean, that was one of the enjoyable enjoyable bits, was the tasting of it. That's, that's when it all started to be, when it went from ideas to feeling like, oh, we've got a rum business, was, was trying these blends to get to a point for the base of what we wanted to do. So that was really enjoyable. And then going through again, you start to just understand more about the distillate, like distillation process and infusing our botanicals. And it allowed us for everything to start be a little bit more real. It allowed us to, you know, you felt more in control of the creativity rather than it being theoretical. You were actually seeing these things in practice. And we're working with the guys still to, We've got rum already sitting in a Speyside whiskey cask agent, which should be ready for around about Christmas time for a second product line to come out. We are in the process as well of just going through tasting just for an aged rum that we are looking to reblend here. Just to, again, I mean, similar to, to the botanical rum that we have, but just a, minus the botanicals and concentrate maybe a little bit more on the premium side of it, but just to give something a different option. And then other options we're looking at as well is because it's growing all the time. And we've, and we've I mean, we've fortunately, we've been a company now 10 months but we must be in about what 20 bars they've been open now a couple of months now but 20 bars over the country that's growing every week we're meeting with um like effectively people from like holding companies from bar groups and that all the time met well last week we're meeting again this coming week so it's nice it's been it's been great that people are receptive and i think that the industry especially in scotland is seeing a growth that they and, and once again like the supermarkets they wouldn't be taking these gambles they wouldn't be buying this stock if they didn't believe that the market was moving in a way that they wanted to try these products. Mm-hmm. And as well, from the, the public's point of view, it's just going to be so great to be out and about in bars. Like as of, so we're recording this on the 9th of August. This is our freedom day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That in inverted commas. But yeah, I think the, the, the sort of appetite to go back out and have a relatively normal night out in the pub is great from the public. So if there's new stuff there to try, new cocktails, people who tried them at home and realised it's a bit more complicated than that will be probably loving being back out. Oh, yeah. And I think that's it. You, you can tell. So a lot of the people we'd obviously speak to are, are 
on on or off trade, but the on trade, the guys. So we've asked coming from Aberdeen, it's a pretty small place, and working in bars from eighteen to about twenty eight, twenty nine, you still know a lot of people who manage these bars, and they are they're excited and ready. Do you know what I mean? Like it's been a tough slog for them, tough slog for everyone, but that that was one of the first industries to go, and it's one of the last to come back. <laughs> Um, yeah, so good for them. And, and I think that's it. I think people, it's ingrained in our culture that that's what we do. Do you know what I mean? It's we, we, I remember, and this is purely anecdotal, but I remember speaking, I used to work with a Brazilian girl and she asked, she was like, oh, why is it when you Scottish people go to parties, you take a little flask of drink, even though there's drink already at the party? I was like, yeah, but what if we're outside? Or something, do you know what I mean? Then we're not, or you've gone to the toilet, or and you fancy another one. I was like, her culture on that side wasn't similar to that. I was like, we do everything in the pub, we celebrate in the pub, we commiserate in the pub, we meet friends in the pub, or we go on dates in the pub. Like it's a huge part of our culture in Scotland. So I think it's it's and it's a lot of times, especially the saves, it's the lifeblood, isn't it? That's where footfall is, it's where traffic is, it's where people go, and it, and it gives just that atmosphere back because there's been a few times especially during the last year and a half, that I've been um, going into work in the, the office during the day, and it's dead. It's like, you ever seen that film, was it 28 Days Later, when he's crossing the bridge? And it's like that, you're walking around at seven in the morning, there's not a soul to be seen, and it's eerie. Whereas now, even the last couple of traffic's busier, people are, and I think everyone's craved it. Do you know what I mean? Like, everyone's craving a bit of, I've, I've really enjoyed the flexibility of working from home, the Last year, I've got a little boy, so it's been amazing being at home with him. But now that we're back in the office a couple of days a week, it's nice to have a bit of structure. I think that being at home all the time would be fine if it was my choosing. Whereas I think the same with these people coming back into the pub setting, it's allowing people, it's, it's the choice now to go out and meet and to enjoy yourself without feeling like you're forced to stay at home. Yeah, yeah I think it's going to be good. And don't get me wrong, I think there's going to be a lot of foolishness goes on in the next few weeks as, as, as it naturally does because people will be super excited. Yeah, yeah, they will be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> um, so one of the parts of the podcast is um, desert island drinks, um, sometimes drams, but I'm going to say drinks today. Um, so not including your own rum, and this could be any drink, what three drinks would you take onto a desert island and why? Uh, right, not including your own. I would take my favourite whiskey of all time, the Lagavulin 16. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Nice. I like the Isla Malts, but I like that the 16 Lagavulin gets all the earthiness and fire there, but without the same kick in the throat as maybe some of the less matured versions would go. Yeah, that would be an absolute must, I think. Why else would I have? I mean, in all honesty, I'd have a bottle of Buckfast on the desert island. <laughs> Not only is it wine, strongly caffeinated. That'll give me the energy to make my boat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or wreck your boat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Me, one man party on the island. No boat needed. I'll burn that boat for firewood and dance. <laughs> and a third one, I wonder what that would be. It would probably, in all honesty, I'll, I'll have a beer. Do you know what I mean? Like a nice cold beer. Do you know I'm going to do it. Shout out, because you're, this is in Scotland, I'm going to shout out to tents. I'll have a tents. That's Big fine. Pint. I thought you were actually going to say Brewdog because you're from Fraserburgh, but no, tents, it's fine. Yeah, well, Brewdog's an interesting one for me. So I, I do, I'm a, I'm a, I like Brewdog. And, and I think, depending on what people read into culturally recently, I think that's, the, it looks like they're on that journey to try and, so there's, there's clearly stuff that, that's been overlooked. 
but they've done well. Do you know what I mean? They, they've been an absolute, especially for us, people like us as well. Like that is, that's proof, man. Do you know what I mean? That is living proof that people can do this, that people can grow, that people can internationalize. And that's our plan. Do you know what I mean? That's our hope anyway, is that we continue to grow. We, we stop more and more, more in bars in Scotland. We grow around the UK. We start to internationalize. Of course it is. That's, that's our dream. Is exactly that. Is that's what we want to be in that position. My only thing with Brewdog, and I never know if it's Brewdog or the council, is uh, because I come from a village five miles outside of Fraserburgh uh, called St Combs. We were always told that the reason Brewdog didn't build their distillery or their brewery in um, Fraserburgh was because of the council. And I would just want somebody to clarify that they wouldn't sell them the land because that would have been because Fraserburgh's great. Do you know what I mean, like it's it's like a lot of towns. It's kind of been slightly forgotten about. There's a lot of great stuff in Fraserburgh, and Brewdog, in my eyes, would have been a huge lifeblood for that place. Do you know what I mean? Regenerative to the town, right down, because the place where the brewery was going to be is right on the beach side. The beach side, some of the best waves in Europe come into Fraser for surfing. Loads of, do you know what I mean? Stuff like that, so much could have been done for that town. And I would love to know, not that it makes the slightest bit of difference, but I would just love to know from my own understanding and empathy towards whoever needs to be empathised with is was it, who made that choice not to build that in the Broch, basically? <laughs> Yeah, no, it's a good point. Yeah, because was it James used to? Was he, was he from there? Fish there, or there, there is a connection there, isn't there? Yeah, they're both from Fraserburgh. Yeah, so I think I, th- I think both their family, they're both in fishing. I think the families were. Um, so the land was pretty much if you're coming from the village I come from, St. Combs, it's slightly further a bit called the Keswick. Basically, it's just, there was like a, a refrigerated lorry company and a Liddles, and then just land, mm. just old industrial kind of land that sits there. Yeah, but now they're in Ellen. I mean, again, again, you're. T- you start you start getting into conjecture then because because would it have been as easy to hire people driving to the broch or moving to the broch every day from Aberdeen? Probably not. Mm. I mean, Ellen is eighteen miles away from Aberdeen. That is manageable. Mm-hmm. Fifty miles an hour there and back every day. I don't know if you'd be able to hire the same type of people that you would have liked to that they can get much more accessible. It's the same with then you, you kind of move to where the jobs are, don't you? And and I'd be hard pressed to see people moving especially if you're not from it's different because you know you're telling you're, you've always got an affinity with your hometown you've always got a connection it's one of those things and, and i have it with my hometown i have it with scotland i have it with where everything that you can hold dear that i will slag it off all day long but if somebody else slags it off i'll fight them yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that might be the bug fast as well though. Yeah. <laughs> exactly uh, so from um drink to food uh, i'm going to ask you a question now which it's a bit of a, uh, you might, str- not struggle, but it's one of those sort of, oh, interesting, you might need to have a few minutes to think about it. Um, if you could invite three people to a dinner party, whether they're alive or dead, who would they be and why? Who would I like? Uh, Joe Strummer from The Clash. He'd be sold. I just like the, and it's difficult to be, what would they call themselves? I don't know. Just re- even even remotely rebellious these days because because all of it seems completely inauthentic. But I think when you read, I listened to a brilliant podcast, the story of the Clash by uh, Chuck D from Public Enemy, who was narrating the story of the Clash on Spotify and two worlds that I didn't think would be connected in any way, shape, or form. But from just speaking about being on the street and people, you're seeing from that from punks in the late seventies in the UK to gangster rap in the 80s in America you didn't think those things would be connected but it was amazing to listen to I think 
Who else would I like? They all seem to, like my mind keeps to solely going into music. So I'm trying to broaden my, probably Elvis. Do you know what I mean? I grew up on Elvis. Grew up, my granny, when I was younger, very strong memories of watching Elvis films. My, my granny used to get, uh, it's from the Reader's Digest, and it was like a video club. And almost every month she would get sent a new VHS in the post, and along the side it would have on the back like the sleeve of the videos, Elvis Presley on them, and we'd sit and watch these Elvis movies. And then, uh, so things like that going, just even being in the army, being that point of fame and fortune and watching his life go as he gets older, do you know what I mean? The, the pressures of all. I think Elvis would be a really fascinating character to, to, to speak to. Especially in an environment where there's, and I'm hoping this is what my dinner party has, no pretense or ego. Do you know what I mean? You're just there chatting to these people. And who else would I have then? I'm trying to think of somebody who's non-music related. I see what you mean about, you might have to have a couple of minutes. Because <laughs> it. it's one of those questions as well that immediately puts your mind blank. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting though. It can still be music though, if that's the way you're going today, because it would change with the day, wouldn't it? Depending on how you feel. Yeah, and, and I think that's it. It would change if I had time to think about this. I would probably come up with completely different answers. I would imagine. Uh, I don't know. I, I think I'd love to speak to something. Again, this is non-specific, but anything like there's times when I would love to be alive. Do you know what I mean? Like things like. Any key notable points in history, but times like in the 60s would have been great. Somebody, do you know who probably, again, it's music, but somebody like Bowie or Lou Reed, somebody like that. Do you know what I mean? Somebody whose life is, my, my life has been supremely normal. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like living in Scotland, I have had jobs and I've worked places and I've got friends and family and that. Like, but then going and seeing things like, I don't know, like New York in the 70s where like, Andy Warhol, the factory and everything, all these things where all these absolutely beautiful freaks and weirdos could, for the first time, meet in like a safe space and express themselves. Things that, even to this day, you'd still probably turn on the street and have a glance. Yeah, I think somebody like Bowie, absolutely, I think. Like. Nice, thank you very much. And uh, so finally, the last part of the podcast is a quick fire round, again, to do with food. So I'm going to ask you five questions. If you tell me the first thing that comes into your head, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Whenever I'm hungry, I think of? Uh, beans on toast. Comfort food for me is? Ties, chips. My favourite childhood dessert is? Uh, a chalk ice. Um, uh, sorry, um, my food heaven is? Anything savoury. Love it. And my food hell is? Uh, tuna from a can. Okay, thank you very much. That's good. And I, I, <laughs> I remember the chalk ice well. That's, uh, I think we must be the same age. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I also think stuff like that, again, I think it's grown up in a what I would call a really just like normal family. Do you know what I mean? Like a normal Scottish kind of working family. These were the things. Like they, there are memories of going to loads of cousins and that, go to your grannies and in the freezer there's it's a Vianetta and loads of chalk ices basically sitting in there. Yeah. Uh, well, that's great. Is there anything else you'd want to add? No, no, I don't, I don't think so. Other than uh, completely selling myself to saying that if anyone wants to buy rum for pubs or in person, let me know. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I really appreciate that. I, th- I think it was, in, it was really enjoyable. To, it, it's very rare that you get a chance to 
sitting, you just answer questions. Normally in my yeah. kind of day job, you're the one that you're speaking, you're trying to encourage these things. So yeah, it was, it was good. That's great. Well, thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Thanks to Fraser for joining me on this episode and thanks to you for listening. Please remember to rate, view and subscribe. Scran is a Laudable production that's co-produced and hosted by me, Rosalind Erskine, and co-produced, edited and mixed by Kelly Crichton.